Industry-recognized credentials are an increasingly important feature of post-secondary education in the U.S., with some estimates suggesting that some 1 million students earn such credentials each year. Traditionally, we've thought of certificates as an alternative to conventional degrees, but a few institutions have started to rethink that relationship, building certificate completion into their degree program requirements and doing so upfront in an effort to help more students persist to earn a degree. Could that approach help solve America's growing college completion process? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Michael Horn. Michael is co-founder of the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation and, of course, an executive editor at Education Next. Along with Clark Gilbert, he's the author of the new column, A Certificate, Then a Degree, which appears in the winter 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. He's also the co-author of the new book, Choosing College, How to Make Better Learning Decisions Throughout Your Life. Michael, welcome back to the Ednext Podcast. Thanks for having me, Marty. It's been a while since we've had you on, so there's a lot to discuss. You've been busy. Let's start with this new book, Choosing College, which I think provides a nice lens through which to then look at your column. In the book, you and Bob Moesta use something called the Jobs to Be Done framework to look at the college enrollment process. What is jobs to be done. Yeah, so jobs to be done is this theory that was developed by Bob and Clay Christensen at the Harvard Business School. And essentially, if you boil it down, it's basically this this old adage that people don't buy quarter-inch drills. They just want the whole, right? And they want the outcome from the experience. The product or sort of what they pull into their lives to help them accomplish that is secondary. But I would say jobs to be done goes one step further to asking what's the context the individual's in, what's the circumstances and the priorities or trade-offs they're going to make. And so essentially a job to be done is helping understand the outcome that is success for you given where you are in life. So you're taking this framework, which as I understand it, has been used to analyze fast food restaurants and all sorts of uh aspects of the American economy and applying it to college. And you find that colleges these days do multiple jobs depending on who they're serving. And it's really only a subset of students who are looking for what I think of as the traditional experience of spending four years living on your own, developing your identity through a liberal arts curriculum. That's really just one of the jobs colleges are doing these days. What are some of the others? Yeah, so that's that's obviously one, and we call that the help me get into my best school job. Uh, some of the others are help me do what's expected of me. So students who are going because someone else in their lives demanded, and they're not quite sure why they're there, honestly. A third one uh, is help me get away. So students running from something, but not necessarily towards something. And then the uh, fourth one is what we call the help me step it up job. So these are students who are looking around and they're like, something about my life isn't right. This isn't a good thing. And if I don't step it up, it's now or never. I've got to turn my life around in, in essence. Uh, and then the last job that we found is what we call the lifelong learning job of help me extend myself. So these are students who life is pretty good, but they've always wanted to do more, be more, challenge themselves in some ways. And they basically open up the time and budget to allow them to extend themselves in some way. How did you and Bob go about gathering these data, identifying these jobs that colleges are doing? Yeah, so it's it's a pretty involved process of screening a lot of uh, folks. And then essentially, you can't ask people why they went to college because they'll lie to you, not because they're misleading people, but because they don't know in many cases. And so we essentially recreated the college choosing process for them, creating many documentaries, 
of uh, roughly it came out to about 260 uh, stories of students making the college choice. And we start to see what are the factors that actually push and pull them to the experience and what are the trade-offs that they actually make in the heat of the moment and the language that they wrap around it. Then you do a cluster analysis around those forces to figure out what are the different clusters. And so these are the clusters that emerge. I don't believe you have a true nationally representative sample with these 260 documentaries that you compiled, but do you have a sense for the relative size of these different jobs? Yeah, I'm, I'm always hesitant to guess on this because we don't know. I would say the help me get into my best school is pretty strong in those traditional uh, uh, high school age students, even those, frankly, who don't go to the residential experience. It's sort of their best version of themselves, if you will. And that's what college is for them. I think the help me do what's expected of me, really large as well. My sense is help me get away is smaller than people might think. It's sort of... Uh, you know, five, 10% of the population is sort of my guess. And then uh, the help me step it up uh, and help me extend myself. When you get in the adult learners in particular, I think that's constantly coming up. Like all the Southern New Hampshire University online, Western Governors University, I suspect, you know, 50, 60% of their students are looking to step it up. And then a lot of the MOOCs, I think, are driven by these people looking to extend themselves. Uh, what's interesting is when you sort of are an institution serving both of those, what success looks like for the students is very different and how you design the experience I think is very different, which to me suggests anyway that a lot of colleges are uh, designed well for maybe one type of student coming in, but not all the types of students that they're serving. Now, the book's not a conventional guide to the college application no. process, but it does offer some advice for students and families. What's most important to come out of this research? Is it really just the value of being clear about what you want out of college and making sure the institution that you're choosing is aligned? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that we are so obsessed with which school and how do I get in in this country that we've almost made college an end to itself as opposed to stepping back and ask the larger question, why am I going? And your why may be sort of superficial. It may be very deep. It doesn't really matter, but it's your why. It's your energy. And making sure you choose something that's consistent with that. Really quick example. If you're running to get away from something, success is getting away. A four-year college with a lot of debt, probably not a wise idea because you don't even know why you're there. And the moment adversity hits, and it will hit, oftentimes that's when we saw students drop out because they'd say, why am I here? I already succeeded in getting away from something. So if you can understand your why, you can make a better choice. And what about for colleges? What implications does this framework and what you've learned from your research have for them? Yeah, I think it's huge for colleges because my sense is that they've designed themselves as one size fits all places, trying to serve students who have lots of different motivations coming for them. And as a result, it's done one of two things. In, in one, in an effort to be all things to all people, it's driven up administrative overhead costs of serving all that complexity. And second, it means that they're suboptimal for every single one of these. And so if I'm a college or university, I would start with these jobs and say, which one of these am I serving in this given program? And let's optimize around that. And I wouldn't stop just there because as you noted, you know, our research is, is high level still at this point. It's 260 stories. I'd go deep on your campus to go another level. Why are they really here at my campus? And really optimize around that so you can help them uh, produce better life outcomes for the students you, you choose to serve. So let's turn to the recent column in Education Next. You and Clark Gilbert, who I guess is the president of BYU Worldwide, you motivate your discussion of this certificate first approach by talking about the, the college completion crisis in the U.S. And yeah. 
you talk about, despite the fact that we hear a lot, especially on the presidential campaign trail right now about a student debt crisis, that really we should be thinking about this as a college completion crisis. How so? Yeah. So actually, this is really timely because new stats literally just came out for the most recent cohort uh, of students for which they're available, those entering college in 2013. And we see that the uh, six-year graduation rate from four-year universities is 60% roughly. Uh, and so that means 40% of students are not completing on time. And you can go out to an eight-year time frame, it's 62%. So there's a whole bunch of students who go in, don't complete. And the really interesting thing about debt is that if you make an investment in yourself, which effectively taking out debt is to go to college, and you graduate, on average, you're going to get an earnings bump that's going to allow you to pay back that debt. But if you go to college, take out debt, don't graduate, and therefore you don't have that credential to show for it, you don't get nearly as much of an earnings bump, very marginal, frankly. And uh, that means now you have this debt with no ability to pay it back. And that's where it really becomes painful for people. Matt Chingos, uh, who formerly was an editor for Ed Education Next, wrote a great book really breaking this down and going beneath the averages that the journalists uh, love to talk about. So you and Clark discuss the potential benefits of helping degree intending college students earn a industry recognized certificate upfront in that context. And one part of that argument is just that this ensures that if students don't complete, they at least leave with a credential of some kind. So a first question is, do these certificates actually have value? What does research tell us about that? Yeah, so it's really interesting on the certificate question because there's like a flourishing of these, literally thousands of certificates that are out there right now. And I admit I've been very skeptical of a lot of them because I can call anything a certificate. What does it actually mean? I think what we're starting to see in the research is a couple things. One, there are a subset of, of certificates that have clear labor market value. They're either industry-issued certificates uh, or they have clear uh, pathways through different fields like nursing or teaching, for example. Uh, and then the second thing I think we're learning about them is that the, of those that are most valuable, they seem to give you a lift of earnings that is maybe not as sustained as, say, a bachelor's degree or something like that. And so, in other words, you have to keep adding other certificates certificates or at some point a degree uh, to actually continue to uh, uh, get this bump in earnings. So it looks like there's some value there, just how much remains a bit uncertain and especially about all of them. Uh, and that's why the second part of your argument that completing a certificate may make students more likely to complete a degree ultimately is so important. It, it's also a bit counterintuitive. Before reading the column, I would have thought that completing a certificate would make students less likely to persist. If the certificate has any labor market value, then a traditional associate's or bachelor's degree would become relatively less valuable for students with a certificate. So what does my logic miss? Yeah, it's honestly, I had the same reaction. It's why I was excited to write this, because when Clark came to me with this data, uh, that people who earn an industry certificate uh, in the course of their degree are more likely to return, more likely to persist, more likely to graduate. I was so shocked by it. I was like, we got to write this. Uh, and the logic seems to hinge on a couple things. One, students for the first time see that they can actually accomplish something academically and that they can make progress, which gives them more of a belief in themselves to be able to actually do the full degree. And then the second thing is because they see the immediate benefit to them upfront of that 
industry certificate, they have a much deeper affinity for the institution through which they've earned that. That gives them more confidence to say, and that's the place I'm going to invest in myself to actually get the degree. So they, they basically say, I see that you are a partner that's going to help me and that getting a degree would even help me more. And so I'm more likely to come back. Now, implementing a certificate-first approach, though, would seem to require redesigning the structure of most degree programs, which tend to start with the most general or foundational courses and only allow students to specialize later in their careers. I guess certificate-first programs need to flip that structure on its head. Is that right? And what challenges does that? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you still have to do your gen ed courses um, for, I guess, one, foundational reasons, but two, maybe more importantly for accreditors uh, to to uh, sign off on your program uh, for federal financial aid. But you basically have to flip the order. So you're going to have some specific... Uh, uh, courses to the certificate itself, and then push the gen ed courses into the back of the degree. And so it's sort of flipping, if you will, the structure. In some ways, that takes a lot of energy because the faculty has to sign off on that. You have to agree that it's okay that you don't need a foundational course in, say, college algebra or writing to be able to go in this industry certificate. On the other hand, it's actually one of the easiest interventions that you can imagine academically because we're not actually changing the design of any of the courses themselves. It's literally the sequence in which they're taken. One caution that I would have that comes to mind from the Choosing College book, if a student is in the help me step it up job, they're very clear about what they want to do with the degree, then I think the structure probably works extremely well. If they're sort of like, help me do what's expected of me or help me get away and they don't have a lot of clarity, I wonder how well this lands with those students because you're jumping into an industry certificate with a clear sequence of courses you don't have choice about, not a lot of room to explore or learn about yourself. I wonder how that resonates. It's not a research question we've asked yet, but it's one I'd be curious about. And that leads into my final question, which is just how widespread do you expect this approach to become or for what set of institutions is it even potentially relevant? I don't imagine, for example, Harvard in the near future deciding to build certificates into its undergraduate uh, AB program. Yeah. So I think you'd expect a lot of the online universities, right, to move to this approach uh, tomorrow. I think all the for-profit online universities in particular that are trying to look for ways to boost graduation rates and relevance to the labor market so that they can uh, both better serve students and repair their images should be moving to this pretty quickly. Places like Western Governors University, Southern New Hampshire University, uh, a lot of the colleges in the Excelsiors group uh, of, of, of universities that disproportionately serve adult learners, I think are prime for this uh, restructuring. My guest today has been Michael Horn, co-founder of the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovations and executive editor at Education Next. You can find his column, A Certificate Then a Degree, in the winter 2020 issue of the journal and online at educationnext.org. And of course, his book, Choosing College, is in bookstores and online. It would make a great addition to any Education Wonks Christmas list. Michael, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.